Hey, welcome to the space usually occupied by the Scrum, GBH's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley. Once again, you're about to hear an episode of Boston's Race into History, which you can also watch on TV at GBH Channel 2 on Fridays at 7, or find online at GBH News' YouTube channel. In this episode, we compare mayoral candidates Anissa Asabi-George and Michelle Wu's approaches to economic development. To do that, I'm joined by John Barros, the former mayoral candidate and economic development chief under Mayor Marty Walsh, and Shagun Iruwu, president and CEO of the Black Economic Council of Massachusetts. First, though, we have a campaign trail debrief in which my colleagues, Soraya Wintersmith and Peter Kazis, discuss, among other things, a seeming shift in whether Bostonians think it's important that the next mayor be someone who grew up in the city. Thanks for listening. Tonight on Boston's Race into History, we're entering the home stretch. Early voting starts tomorrow in a mayoral race that will shape the city for years to come in many ways, including its economic future. Ahead, we'll talk about the final candidate's plans to bridge the massive wealth divide and to address issues of access, equity, resilience, and support for businesses large and small. But first, it appears the race has taken a turn, and the gloves have come off in the final days, as we saw a few times in Tuesday night's debate. Talk to me, please, about why you are delivering a different message, depending on which community you're in. That's simply not true, Anissa. I'm disappointed to, to see a pattern of false statements being made here. That there is a false statement. That is not your work. Please don't take credit for it. I think that if uh, we're going to talk about transparency and we're going to talk about accountability and you are before the people of Boston asking to be their mayor, that you should be clear, that you should be more transparent. The city of Boston deserves better. Negative attacks, personal attacks, falsehoods, and fear-mongering. This is not what I wanted this mayoral race to turn into. I'm uh, disappointed to see the, the tactics that are being used. And those weren't the only fireworks we saw this week. For more, I'm joined by GBH's City Hall reporter, Soraya Wintersmith, and senior editor, Peter Kadzis. Good to see you both. Hey there, Adam. Hi, Adam. Soraya, let me start with you. There has been a distinct sharpening of tone on the part of the Asabi George campaign and her surrogates, their surrogates, over the past couple of weeks. Does this reflect a strategic calculation, do you think, or is there something visceral going on here? Adam, I think if we look at the whole collection of comments that have come with a sharper tone, it's a bit of both. I think it's strategic because my sense um, talking to voters who support Asabi George is that they don't think she's getting a fair shake in the media and that Michelle Wu, her opponent, is not being scrutinized to the same degree that she is. So I think her strategic attacks will land in that way. And when a candidate decides to lob some personal criticisms, we have to assume that a personal nerve has been touched. Yeah, good point. Peter Kadzis, there was an interesting moment in the debate when the candidates were asked about money, specifically their family <laughs> finances. And these two women who by this point have a ready answer for everything seemed a little bit flummoxed. Let's take a look. What's your household income? Um, a little over $200,000. Does that put you in Boston's upper class? Um, Boston's upper class, we are... Um, yes or no? Up- 
mid upper middle class. Okay, Councillor Sabi George, what's your household income? We have a pretty high income. It's been reported on widely, and I am in Boston's upper class. My family has worked really hard to get here, uh, both immigrants to this country, my parents, scrapping and saving to make ends meet. And I'm grateful for the opportunity I've had to live a great life here in Boston. I, I want short answers. Um, what, what's the number? Is there an embarrassment around it? I mean, I... No, I file my taxes separate to my husband. He owns, and it's been well reported, a number of uh, businesses and companies in this city. And my pay is $103,000 as a Boston City Councilor at large. Peter Kansas, why the squeamishness here on this topic? Well, Adam, I'll tell you what I make if you tell me what you make. <laughs> I, I think it's a natural human reaction. Um, we do have an unusual political situation here. During the Ray Flynn and um, Tom Menino years, we had mayors who had to live on their income. Uh, modest homeowners, modest salaries. Um, most people forget or didn't realize that Mayor Marty Walsh had a six-figure income as a union chief to supplement his uh, statehouse income. So um, neither of these women, um, people with a, a hefty bank account um, are not going to be a new thing in Boston city politics. Um, there's a paradox here, too, because the rhetoric of the campaign is so populist. And um, what we see in Boston is what we see pretty much around the nation, which is that higher income people tend to dominate electoral politics. So it, Boston is seeing more of the same. But it is a little embarrassing. Soraya Wintersmith, a new poll came out a few days ago. It showed Michelle Wu once again with a big lead, running ahead of Anissa Asabi-George, 62% to 30%, heading up almost into Tom Menino territory there. Uh, it also contained some new data about a question that I am fascinated by and that you and I have, have discussed on air and, and offline, the question of how important it is to Bostonians that the next mayor be from here. According to this poll, 33% of people prefer a mayor who was born and raised in Boston. That is very different from a poll that we were part of a little over a year ago, poll done by Steve Cazella at the Mass Inc. polling group, who found that 63% of people had some level of preference for that. Now, I should note, different subgroups of voters, which could account for a little bit of the difference, uh, different language in the two polls, too. But still, even with those caveats, that's a big gap. What do you make of the seeming 180 that Boston voters have done on this? You're right. It is a big gap. My funny answer is that voters are fickle, so who who really knows? <laughs> no, but I think Steve Cazella gave us a really great caveat. Um, and as we've said before, voters might have been, at the time of the earlier poll, looking at that question through the lens of only the candidates who had been declared. And the field has fluctuated so much, and voters have had a lot more time to consider each of the candidates. It's possible that the attitude did shift on the question, uh, but either one of those factors, I think, might explain the change. Yeah, and I'll just paraphrase because I always need to talk myself through this a couple times. Steve's argument essentially was voters might pick the candidate that they like and then say, well, all right, what attributes do they have? So back when he did that poll, it was Marty Walsh and Michelle Wu. A lot of people like Marty Walsh. What do you know about Marty Walsh? Well, hey, he's from Boston. That's right. And as you said, two different candidates this time. Peter, you used the word paradox 
earlier. I want to keep us highbrow by asking you to explore another <laughs> paradox. That is what this same poll said about voters' preference for change. Again, it showed Michelle Wu with this big lead, but when it came to the kind of change voters want to see, 48% of respondents told David Paleologus, the pollster from Suffolk, they wanted to see thoughtful incremental change compared to 36% who said they wanted bold transformational change. In other words, more voters say they want the kind of change that Anissa Asabi-George is pitching herself as offering than want the kind of change Michelle Wu has said she would represent. How do you untangle that paradox? Well, let me translate, Adam. I think we're about to see an historic shift back to the way people in Boston used to vote during the Kevin White years. Um, when White ran against uh, Louise A. Hicks and Joe Timelty, you had majority of people being forward-looking. Kevin White voters were hopeful about the future. I think that Michelle Wu voters are also help hopeful about the future. You know, Wu is promising a lot. She's very aspirational, and that speaks to the hopes of her of uh, her base. Anissa Asabi George isn't looking backwards, but she's looking more status quo. Now, between Wu and Asabi George. Uh, we certainly had Marty Walsh, but again, going back to Menino and Ray Flynn, those were voters who, in the wake of the busing turmoil, tended to vote somewhat defensively. So, interestingly enough, I read this seeming contradiction as a return to an earlier form of optimism that we saw during the Kevin White years. Interesting. I should mention there's also here, too, the question of language. I'm guessing that Michelle Wu and his supporters, if they happen to watch any of this, will say, hey, wait a minute, we're for a thoughtful change, too. So how you shape the question obviously depends or, or determines, helps determine the answer that you got. Saray, I want to um, give you the last word here. You have a great news story that I read uh, a couple hours ago about Anissa Asabi-George and her identity as the daughter of a uh, immigrant from Tunisia, her identity as a woman who identifies as uh, Arab-American. Everyone watching the show should make sure to read it if they haven't already. But also, in addition, you have this mayoral newsletter that you're doing every week. I want to give it a plug, make sure people are signed up. Tell me if I get this right. GBHnews.org slash politics newsletter. Is Adam, that correct? You're wonderful, Adam. That's right. <laughs> All right. Soraya Wintersmith and Peter Kazis. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you. you, Adam. You don't need an in-depth quantitative analysis to know the benefits of Boston's booming economy are distributed unevenly, to say the least. All you really have to do is walk around the city. Some neighborhoods are packed with expensive homes, thriving businesses, and an abundance of new construction. But at the same time, just a few miles away, other parts of town are visibly struggling rather than thriving. And as a rule, they tend to be in areas that have fewer white residents and more people of color. Again, all this is evident for anyone who's inclined to look. But the right numbers framed the right way do help to drive home the depth of the problem. For example, an analysis this year by the website Zillow found that in Boston, just 35% of black households own their home, compared to 69% for white households. And on average, black Boston families have 23% the wealth of their white counterparts, compared to 35% before the Great Recession. As with other big issues in the mayor's race, even though there are factors at play here that go beyond Boston, 
Both mayoral candidates say they could help close the gaps in wealth and opportunity if they win in November, but they differ when it comes to how. It's a very specific contrast, and it's a $100 million investment in our black community that I've committed to. We've rolled out a very thorough and detailed equity, inclusion, and justice plan that Michelle has not rolled out. We have within our plan 100-day, short-term, mid-term, and long-term objectives and goals that will be measurable. Here's another example of how this race is a choice between continuing the status quo or being willing to think outside the box and push harder for the changes at the scale that we need. It is scary, I know, for some people that we would rethink how we do our development process, that we would push for equity to be part of every single conversation when it comes to growth and development and jobs in the city. So whose plans would be more effective and how quickly could city government actually have a meaningful impact? Joining me to discuss are John Barrows, a former mayoral candidate himself who served as chief of economic development under Mayor Marty Walsh, and Shigun Iduwu, president and CEO of the Black Economic Council of Massachusetts. Thank you both for being part of this. Shigun, let me start with you. Uh, you and some of your colleagues at the council sat down with each of the finalists for 30 minutes to hear their pitches on black economic empowerment. How'd they stack up? Well, first, Adam, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Um, you know, we had very insightful conversations uh, with both Councillor uh, Sabi George and Councillor Wu uh, just a few weeks ago, half an hour each, and asked one simple question. What is your black economic policy agenda? Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, both laid out their plans and made particular commitments that we shared with our members. And, uh, you know, I would say that uh, the one candidate had a specific plan for uh, the black community in particular, and, and another candidate kind of had a broader view of all people of color um, and how their plan um, might benefit them. And so we leave it to our members to deduce uh, which plan would work best uh, for them as they head to the polls. In a so I, weeks. I, of course, have to ask you which candidate had which plan? <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, Councillor Asabi, we asked both, both uh, candidates uh, who read our Black economic policy agenda that we put out in April, uh, excuse me, in May of earlier this year uh, that laid out a number of different initiatives that we believe uh, will help to uh, increase uh, access to different uh, types of capital contracts, et cetera. Uh, Councillor Asabi George had not yet read the plan prior to our meeting. Um, and, you know, uh, her her comments focused more on communities of color in general rather than specifically on the black community. And talking to Councillor Wu, she dove into uh, how her plan would impact black residents uh, specifically. Thank you for that. I think, tell me if I'm wrong here, I, I think that your meeting with the candidates, uh, specifically with Councillor Sabi George, occurred before she rolled out her new equity and inclusion agenda. Am I right about that? It, it was uh, it was about one or two days before that plan rolled out, Got and it. in uh, the communication we sent to members, we linked to uh, her plan to, that explained more about what she uh, what she presented to us. Okay, thank you, um, John Barros. I want to get you in here, yes. but before I get you talking, I want to roll a little bit more video from each of the candidates themselves. When I was talking with them about this issue, Michelle Wu focused in part on the issue of contracting. Let's take a look at what she had to say. We attach six criteria to that for preference uh, for locally produced food that is environmentally sustainable with fair wages along the food supply chain with um, humane animal welfare treatment and um, health and nutrition as part of it. 
several other cities across the country use those five criteria, and we added a sixth criteria to make Boston the first in the country to also clearly prioritize racial equity in how we give out those contracts to vendors and sub-vendors. We've already started to reach out and partner with hospitals in Boston, universities who are also serving hundreds of thousands of meals so that our collective bulk purchasing power can supercharge the jobs and, and close gaps in our city too. I should have said by way of introduction, she was talking about food purchases by the city of Boston in that clip. Uh, now a little more from Anissa Asabi-George, who was really focused when she talked to me on what almost seems to me to be a sort of a Marshall plan for the black community. I've got this $100 million that I've committed to investing, in particular in our black community, certainly through a community process engaging stakeholders, residents, business owners, faith leaders, activists in that work so that that investment is impactful, is meaningful. But I also want to stress that when we think about how we're going to use that dollars, that's going to happen quickly because we cannot hold on to that money. We've got to saturate our local economies. We've got to make sure that the people of Boston can feel it, can touch it, in particular, our black residents. So John Barrows, you ran against both these candidates. To your mind, do they think about these issues, broadly speaking, the same way, or do they conceptualize them differently? You know, Adam, first, let me just say thank you for having me on and discuss this. Shagun, always good to be on with you. Um, they think about him differently. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the responses to your question that you just showed uh, depict, in fact, how uh, Michelle, uh, typical of Michelle, thinks about how she integrates equity and trying to get to equity through policy responses, how that's framed, what she does. I mean, Michelle and I just recently sat down and, and we talked about the disparity study that we did. And we talked about where there was some room to maybe make some more dramatic increases in some of the goals and what we can do and how to do it. And she talks about them in those terms of policy. You know, Anissa talks about it as an initiative. Uh, you know, here's the amount of money I want to invest. And I want to talk about how we get it out quickly. I want to talk about how we work with the community to get it out in different initiatives and different programs, two different ways to look at it. I'm glad that you said that because that was my vague sense, although I couldn't put it nearly as well as you just did then. So I'm glad I, I was on the right track. Um, Shagun, back to you. These two candidates, we've talked a lot on the show about the plans that candidates have, the two finalists, on a whole bunch of different issues. But these candidates have been in office for a while on the city council. They've had a chance to legislate on this issue. How do you, their records stack up, do you think, when it comes to things like the wealth gap and economic equity? Well, you know, first of all, that's a really important question um, and a great point, because the one thing about this election is that there were no newcomers that were running, uh, that, are, that are running for mayor, right? Everybody in some way, shape or form has been involved in, uh, even in this administration, right, has served alongside it or in it. Uh, running for mayor. And so uh, as we all talk about what what will I do as mayor uh, uh, November 16th moving forward in 21, um, it's like, well, what have you done? And that's certainly been a question uh, for our members, our board, uh, just members of our community um, uh, in this election. And so when we're thinking about at least uh, specifically to black business issues, um, you know, uh, for Beckma, you know, uh, who we've worked with the most uh, has been uh, Councilor Wu. And this is prior to my uh, joining the organization where in 2017, there was an ordinance to establish uh, equity in city contracting uh, 
that was uh, led by Councillor Wu and then Councillor uh, uh, Presley, now Congresswoman Presley, uh, and that was uh, with uh, the previous executive director. Uh, it was that uh, ordinance that has led to uh, really all the conversations that we're having now about equity and city contracting. Uh, you know, worked alongside you know uh, uh, John and and his team uh, in economic development to uh, help try to increase. Uh, uh, the number of contracts going to our businesses. But you know, I would say that at least for our purposes, we have worked with uh, Councillor Wu on these issues. Uh, Councillor Asabi Joris, it's been more recent uh, in working with her office. I know that, uh, and what she has uh, talked about is that she introduced a home rule petition uh, that would uh, try to make sure that the state gives Boston the power to regulate its own procurement practices. Um, but we're not uh, exactly sure at this moment where that legislation is uh, in the state house. I would love to uh, see how we advance that uh, uh, at the state house. John Barrows, I, I'm curious about um, sort of something biographical that might have offered you extra insights when it comes to this conversation, what the next mayor can do. Before you ran for mayor in 2013, before you became Mayor Walsh's chief of economic development, you were an activist trying to push City Hall from the outside. Did you learn anything in the course of your own move from outside to inside that, that might be useful to whichever woman is elected mayor when it comes to how you can affect change when you're at or near the center of power and, and limits that might exist or challenges that might exist that you might not have expected before you got there? You know, Adam, that's a great question. I, I learned a lot about that. And there is, you know, government needs to partner with community. We need to partner with uh, those on the ground who want to uh, align themselves with the same goals and objectives. And in any case, particularly in equity or in trying to get to equity in, in our economy, we need to have partners on the ground. I'll tell you, the best inside-outside partner I had as chief of economic development was Chuck Turner. Uh, Chuck and I worked on a series of policies that we wanted to see change on. He put pressure on me, uh, and then we had a very clear plan on what we were going to do, and we changed policy at city at the city uh, to help reflect those goals. And the mayor was, you know, the mayor was uh, uh, very happy to work with Chuck because he was clear on his goals. He was a partner throughout the whole time. He was very honest in his dealings, and we got things done. Michelle and Anissa will need those kinds of partners who are about doing the work and not just about press releases, not just about you know criticizing and shaming them, but in fact about making sure that the kind of decisions are made uh, that are made at City Hall and the kind of policies that are brought in are having the kind of impacts we wanna see. It's really important. We've got about four minutes left and I'm hoping that each of you can give the next mayor, again, whoever she is, she is your counsel for what they absolutely positively have to do uh, when it comes to economic equity in their first 100 days, just to get off on the right foot. So, Shagun, let's start with you, and then we'll give John the last word. What would your to-do list be for the next mayor? Well, you know, as we've been articulating as an organization uh, since since I got here, it's about uh, part of it is about the financial investment that we're making in our businesses. So. We're happy that uh, both candidates are talking about uh, what those uh, direct investments would look like. It's about providing the technical assistance, which uh, John led on when he was uh, chief of economic development, so continuing that. Uh, and it's getting these contracts in order and making sure 
that we are providing direct uh, access to those opportunities. It's the only way that our businesses are going to grow and scale to be able to hire more people. And I'll just say that, uh, you know, I've said it before uh, on GBH that, you know, to talk much and arrive nowhere is the same as climbing a tree to catch a fish. And so it's going to be important that whoever our next mayor is, uh, campaigning is all about the talking, but they got to do uh, so that at the end of the first uh, term, we're not talking about the same inequalities that we're talking about today. John Barros, you've actually got uh, a little extra time, about two and a half minutes to offer counsel to the next mayor. What would you suggest she put on her to-do list? Thank you very much, Adam. And, and, and let me just say, I, I enjoyed working with uh, Shagun and others to think about the best way to, to have change. I think the, the first thing that she should do, uh, whoever wins, is to create um, a transition committee that is specifically working on this issue and that a plan with measures and goals and deadlines and who will do what is created and presented publicly. That the public should know exactly how we would use the $100 million or exactly what policy changes would be made uh, in City Hall to move the needle on this effort in a very aggressive and bold way. And, uh, you know, Shagun, Beckma, and others should be at the table uh, to help drive that conversation with real specificity, dates, and numbers tied to those dates and, and goals. It's going to cost some money. It will, it, will, it, will, it will need an investment, and we should be clear about what those investments are and what those changes will be that will change the factors that we're looking at when it comes to equity in Boston. I actually uh, want to ask a quick follow-up of each of you. Is there one metric that you think people will be able to look at, um, let's say, at the start of 2023, to assess whether the next mayor is making real improvements here? Is there one metric that, that stands out? The number of our businesses that are still around. Uh, COVID's not over, and our businesses are the ones that are failing the most. And so in 2023, you know, see, so seeing where our businesses are now, where they are, how many of us are still around in 23, I think that's going to be an important metric for us. Okay, John Barrows, how about you? Yeah, it's a good one. I would, I would say the number is uh, the number of uh, or the percentage of spend on discretionary funding on black and brown owned businesses in the city of Boston. It's something the city can control. It's something the mayor can impact, have impact on immediately. And we know the kind of leverage that that kind of spending can do for helping businesses survive. Uh, exactly what Shagun is saying is super important, but let's see how much the mayor is spending and willing to spend as a percentage of discretionary spend of the city of Boston. Okay, John Barros, Shagun Irwu, thank you both. That's it for tonight, but do come back next week as we take stock of this historic race, what it means for Boston, and some other big issues that are in play in the final days before the election. That's next Friday at 7 here on GBH2 and online at gbhnews.org. For now, thanks for watching and good night.